Go ahead and raise your hand, and one of our ushers will be quick to bring you one. Today we will, we will be in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. And in the passage that we are looking at, we are seeing an answer to a man who was doubting. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the the one who Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Doubts. Doubts that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And just let that sink in a little bit. At this point, John is in prison. See, John thought, um, John, what John did was he called Herod out for Herod stealing his brother's wife. And, and I guess um, the king, King Herod, didn't really like that very much, so he, he put John in prison. And so this is where John is right now. John the Baptist is, is in prison. And so what we see happen today is Jesus responding to John's doubts. And Jesus responds with a gracious hope. Our passage reads this, starting in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Father, we ask you this morning that you would allow us wisdom and insight and knowledge into your son Jesus That you, would, that you would convict us of your word, that you, would, that you would graciously bring hope to us, that you would allow us to see who your son Jesus really is. Father, would you soften our hearts to your word and would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us? Would we properly understand your word and go from here more treasuring your son, 
more in love with you. We pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try to make one of maybe the most obvious statements I've ever made in the beginning of a sermon, okay? So bear with me here. Not everyone who doubts God is a Christian. Right? Because agnostics believe in some type of God, but they still kind of doubt God. But all Christians doubt God to some degree or another. What do I mean by this? Maybe you're thinking, well, Max, no, I have never doubted God a day in my life becoming a Christian. And I would just like to suggest and ask, well, have you sinned? But there are a few ways that we tend to doubt God. One way is when we just supernaturally get shot with fiery arrows. One day you're completely fine and the next day you go through a turmoil for sometimes weeks, months, or even years of extreme doubt. We would call that spiritual warfare. Being shot with a fiery arrow directly in your heart. Another way to doubt, though, is is in what Jesus or what God has done. Which usually stems to doubting what is said. Which at the end of the day, what it really is, is doubting who God really is. Our human nature does everything it possibly can to cause us to doubt what God has done, what he has said, and who he is. We come to our first verse. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So our passage, it clearly starts off telling us that that John's disciples had been following Jesus around and went back to John and reported all of the things that Jesus had done. They were telling John, John, what we're seeing Jesus do is is he's hanging out with tax collectors and and prostitutes and drunkards and sinners and, and he's healing those that are sick and we're seeing blind people receive their sight and and he actually just raised somebody from the dead, John. So what do you think John's response to his disciples coming to him and saying this is? Right, John is in prison right now. And sure enough, John is is anxiously awaiting to hear what the promised one that he had baptized, you know, the one that he pointed at and said, you know, I, I must decrease so he can increase. He's waiting for his disciples to come back and report these things. And so you would expect that John's response would be one that is full of excitement. Thinking Jesus is on the move. He's working. But we don't quite see that. 
Do we? We see in in John calling two of his disciples to him. Sent them to the Lord saying. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Instead of John being excited about the report of hearing all of the magnificent things that Jesus had been doing. He allows his true feelings to to surface. And we see that he doubts. John the Baptist. He doubts that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That that Jesus is, is the one whom the word of God and the prophets testified about. John is, is doubting. He wants to know, Jesus, are you the real deal, man? Or are you just some dude dressed up with a beard going around healing people? Are, are you a fake? Should we be looking for another one? Or are you just some random carpenter dude going around doing all of these things? Need to know, Jesus. See, like many of us, believe it or not, John didn't fully understand who Jesus was. You see, the the common idea among first century Israel, well, well, the common idea for Israel up to that point was that Jesus was going to be this conquering king. (laughs) That what Jesus was going to do is that the the promised Messiah, that he was going to be coming in, guns a-blazing, ready to bring judgment to all other nations. That the promised Messiah was going to to bring the the kingdom and, and bring what they had saw David lived through, that they were going to be the top dogs again. This is who Israel thought that the coming Messiah was going to be like. This conquering king who was going to bring judgment to the nations and restore Israel being top dogs once again. They expected a, a king that was going to bring Judgment that was going to to conquer all things. And John is no exception of being influenced by this common cultural idea of his day. That this is only who the promised Messiah was going to be. And so maybe that helps us out a little bit more thinking that John is in prison right now. Right? John is in prison. And here his thought is, is is the promised Messiah is going to come, bring judgment, liberate Israel, and restore them. So what in the world am I doing still in prison if Jesus is really this conquering king? (laughs) Jesus, when are you going to blow me out of this, this, this joint? And so what happens to John is, it leads him to question if Jesus is the promised Messiah or not. Because if Jesus is just only the conquering king, then what in the world am I still doing in this prison? If Jesus is 
is the conquering king. What in the world is he doing going around healing sick people, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? You see, what Israel and John failed to realize is that Jesus wasn't just the conquering king, but also the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, he who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteem him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. John thought Jesus was just going to be this conquering king, but failed to realize that he was also the suffering servant. He's, he is the friend of sinners. When John dies, when John is, is beheaded, later on in, in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Jesus was a paradox for the people. This is what made the Pharisees so upset at him. So you're claiming to be the, the promised Messiah, but yet you're hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so his disciples respond, well, Philip responds, well, well some say that you're Elijah. You know, some even say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Jeremiah. And there are a few out there that say that you're some type of prophet. We just can't even figure you out. In the first century, people thought that the, the promised Messiah was just going to be this conquering king. I'm afraid that in the 21st century, the pendulum has shifted. And now we only view Jesus as the friend of sinners. Or as a, a you know, one of the worst things that millennials could have possibly done is make a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. <laughs> it is true. It's cheesy, though. <laughs> but whereas first century Israel viewed the promised Messiah solely as this conquering king, ushering in the kingdom and judgment, you know, I, I'm, I'm deeply concerned that in the 21st century, we only view Jesus as my homeboy. We only view him as the friend of sinners. Now, those two things are true. It is true that Jesus is a conquering king, and it is true that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
Who do you say that Jesus is? Because when we look at Jesus as one or the other, and not both, doubt will always creep in. Because it leads to half a Jesus and not a full Jesus. When we look at Jesus as just the conquering king like John, it is, it is easy to think, you know, I did all of the right things, Jesus. I, 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 was, I was preaching a, 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 a gospel of repentance and baptism, Jesus. Like I was even calling out the Pharisees and calling them vipers. But yet here I am still in prison. What's going on, Jesus? I, th- I thought you were supposed to be the conquering king. I read my Bible daily. I pray every single day. I, I attend church. Jesus, why am I still suffering and facing trials? When we view Jesus as a conquering king, it is easy to look inward on ourselves and start comparing ourselves and saying, Jesus, I'm doing all of these things. And then to doubt because you don't feel like you're living up to the expectations. On the other hand, though, when we look at Jesus as the friend of sinners, when we only see him as the friend of sinners, it's easy to live in sin and not take our sin serious. Because when I just look at Jesus as my friend, it's easy to hide my sins from my friends. It's easy that when life gets busy to put my friends on the back burner and just focus on myself. And so what happens is start to question, well, if if Jesus, if, if you were real, if you really died for my sins, why am I still struggling with my sin? Am I even a Christian? I thought you died for my sins. I thought you were supposed to be my friend. You see, it's the the tension between legalism and what's called antinomianism, which means anti-against law, against the law. One says that God loves me because of the works that I do, and the other says, well, God loves me so I don't ever have to work anymore. We cannot separate these two things. Jesus is the conquering king and the suffering servant. And so who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? Because when we we look at him as the conquering king and the suffering servant, when we look at him as the conquering king and the friend of sinners, we are looking at the promised Messiah. And so we can continue on. John's disciples roll up to Jesus. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one, Jesus, who is to come, or or shall we look for another? 
His, his disciples go in and ask Jesus for him. Get some friends like this. And what is Jesus' reply here? Does Jesus throw up his hands, roll his eyes, lean back his head and say, come on, not John the Baptist too. I mean, he just baptized me. I saw him point to me and say, I need to decrease. And he can, John, what's going on here, man? No. We don't see Jesus reply that way. But instead, we see Jesus reply in such a gracious way. I mean, it seriously doesn't get as, it doesn't get more gracious than this. Because what we read next is in verse 21 in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And so Jesus' response to John's disciples are, okay, just watch me. And Jesus healed people, restored sight to blind people. Jesus didn't say, okay, here's here's a five-step program. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to give it to you. Give it to John. And then he'll be okay. And he didn't say too, okay, you know what? I'm going to snap my fingers and John's doubt is just going to be wiped out. He's never going to struggle with it ever again. No, what Jesus decides to do is serve the least likely. He decides to serve the poor, the sick, the the hurting. And so after Jesus performed all of these All of these works, he said, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. After Jesus performed these these works, John tells, or he tells John's disciples, Go and tell John what you have seen with your eyes and heard with your ears ears. Do you, do you know what Jesus' advice basically is? Go and tell John to, to look to me. Tell John, look to me. John, lo- look at the works that I'm doing. John, look to me. Look to my life. John, don't buy into what the culture is saying about me. Look, John, to me. John, the kingdom is at hand. And yes, the conquering king is is coming to bring judgment to the nations. But the suffering servant is coming to restore all things and make them new. John, I'm restoring all things. So look to me. Look to me, John. And that's incredible. That's incredible for Jesus to reply like that. He wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. He didn't look at John's disciples and say, I 
Just don't have time for that. Just go and tell John everything's going to be okay. No, he gives John hope. When I was, uh, when I was younger, excuse me if I stumble through this story, it paralyzes me. Uh, it's it's ter- it, Okay, I'll tell it. Um, <clears throat> when I was younger, I was downstairs in our basement. I was playing the Xbox 360, um, right? So here's the gener- generational gap now. Uh, you're, we're, we're starting to see a culture of pastors that used to play the Xbox 360. <laughs> I was playing Call of Duty, okay? Um, uh, and, and so what had happened was my, my younger sister, she had to be no older than, than 10. I mean, she might not even have been 10 yet. Um, <clears throat> she came downstairs and she said, Max, mom wants me to ask you this question I just had asked her. I said, oh, great. Um, this is going to be bad. Uh, and so I, as she was getting ready to ask, I'm still playing. I'm still playing, kind of uh, uh, ignoring her. I, I will admit I was not the best big brother in the world. Um, and my little sister will let you know that. Um, but as I was playing this game, I was thinking, okay, oh boy, here she comes. I'm, I'm trying to, to play my game, and, and she wants to ask me a question. And so what she says to me is this. Max, I don't know if I believe in God. And so I was still playing, trying to still kind of ignore her question, but then I decided, okay, I guess this is kind of serious. And uh, So I, I look at her, and my reply to her, my reply to my little sister, my reply to my little sister who just said, Max, I'm doubting, I don't know if God exists. I, I pause the game, I look at her, and I just say, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And I pushed start, and I started playing the game again. That memory paralyzes me. We don't see Jesus doing that. Is it a true statement? Yeah? It is not full of grace and love, though. I absolutely hate the fact that I responded to my younger sister that way. And so now maybe you're thinking, oh, great, what did we get ourselves into? If I ever go to my pastor saying I'm doubting, he's just going to say you're going to hell. You guys, I, I hope we're realizing, I hope we're realizing through this passage that it's completely natural and normal to doubt. John the Baptist, John the Baptist doubted if Jesus was the promised Messiah. So if John the Baptist struggled with doubt, who are we to think that we will never in our lifetime experience times of doubt? We should expect times of doubt and we should be prepared for times of doubt. And so we're learning a lot from 
from John, aren't we? We're learning that, that John's doubt kind of stems from this misunderstanding of, of who Jesus is. But what else are we seeing John do here? I, I, I am seeing in our culture, this kind of, in the Christian culture, if, if I doubt, this means I'm somehow less of a Christian than my other brothers and sisters. And so what tends to happen is what, what we'll do is we'll just suppress our doubt and ignore our doubt and we'll never ask the questions. Can we just take John as an example of how we are to fight through our doubt? What, is, what does John do here? What is John doing here? John is not ignoring his doubt right here. John sends his disciples to Jesus and literally asks Jesus, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? John is confronting his doubt, bringing his doubt to the light and going to Jesus directly and asking Jesus. Guys, you don't have to suppress and hide your doubt. You don't have to. You can ask. You can question. You can have conversations. It's totally appropriate. It doesn't make you any less smart or intellectual or less a Christian. When we suppress our doubts, it will manifest itself even bigger than we realize in the future. There is nothing that Satan wants more than for you to ignore your doubt instead of going to a brother or sister, going to God's word in the scriptures, praying and asking and bringing your doubt to the light. We need to stop trying to suppress and bury our doubt. Because it is through those conversations where, believe it or not, we can actually grow deeper in our relationship and grow in our faith. And so how do we see Jesus end? We see in verse 23, Jesus then ends with this. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This, this word blessed can also be translated into happy, happy, happy. Jesus then is telling John who the happy people are. The, the happy people in this lifetime are those that are not offended by Jesus. What Jesus is, is telling John, John, fight. Fight for happiness. Fight to be blessed. Fight to not be offended by me. Jesus doesn't belittle John's question. But instead, he tells him, keep fighting, John. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to John. Jesus wasn't going to rescue John in prison. So he's telling John, John, fight for happiness. Fight to not be offended. Look to me, John, and keep fighting. I'm the promised Messiah. I am the conquering king and the suffering servant. This is what Paul is telling the church in 
Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he tells them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When we ignore any doubt that comes to mind and suppress it, how are we able to work that out? John's or, or Paul's challenge to the Philippians right there is, is grow in godliness and holiness. Work this out. So keep fighting, brothers and sisters. Keep trusting. Keep bringing your doubts to Jesus. Keep asking questions. And so maybe you've been dealing with doubt for now a, such a long time that you just, you just don't even have an idea of how long you've been doubting. And so I would like to suggest the first way that you can fight against this doubt is, is praying what was said in, in Mark 9, verse 24. Oh, does God know how many times I've prayed this? I believe, help my unbelief. The next thing you could do is bring your doubt to light and ask somebody. Ask them. Search the scriptures with them. Ask them to pray. We are not made to fight our doubt alone. If you didn't know, let me tell you right now, Christianity is not an individualistic religion. It is a religion based off of community. So find a community of brothers and sisters. Ask them to pray for you. Listen to their encouragement. And so I'd like to conclude like this for us this morning. The reason why John was able to ask Jesus this question that was burning in his heart is because John did see Jesus as a friend of sinners. It's because Jesus is approachable. I mean, God himself came down in the form of flesh to dwell among sinners, to, to be approached. He came down to dwell among us to, to save sinners and tax collectors and, and teachers and, and desk workers and engineers and students and retirees. He did to save them, to save me, to save you. Jesus, the, the friend of sinners, lived the perfect life that you and I were told to live. Died a gruesome death facing the judgment and wrath of God that we deserve. He rose three days later and has ascended up into heaven and, has, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father Ruling victoriously over all things. He did this so that you and I could approach him. He did this so you could approach him and bring your doubts and, and fears. 
He did this to save you from your sins and the impending wrath to come. This is the free gift of the gospel. But he's also the conquering king. He is the conquering king, which means he's making all things new. And if you do not put your faith in him and daily repent, meaning desiring and pursuing growth in godliness and holiness, and and you are caught living dead in your sins, you will be justly judged and sent to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. And so this is my plea to us this morning. Fight to know this incredible, magnificent, glorious God. Don't settle for just a scratch or just a touch. He wants you to know him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to approach him. He wants you to fight for happiness in him. And so if you are doubting this wonderful God, take your doubts to him. Search him. Search the scriptures. Ask the questions. Have conversations. And pray. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Father, we ask. We ask and plead that you would search us and know our ways that we wouldn't be okay with just knowing you a little bit, that we wouldn't settle for, for doubting you and then putting that in the back of our minds and, and then never confronting that doubt. Father, I ask that you would work mightily in the people's hearts right now. That if there are those who are doubting, you would comfort them. If there are those that have suppressed their doubts, that you would bring them to their heart and force them to work it out. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus so that we could approach you. We thank you for being the conquering king and the suffering servant. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.